welcome to Settling Scores, the musical theater podcast. We're your hosts, Stephanie Dillard. Hey, I'm Lenny West. And I'm Forrest Hutchinson. And we're so glad you've tuned in to hear us bicker and banter about all things Broadway. Talk to me, baby, won't you talk to me? And that song signals it's time for a catch-up convo, where we discuss any shows we've seen recently and any Broadway news we have to share. Lenny, you want to go first? Sure. So, Broadway news to share. This is a uh, exciting in the um, the vein of like the greatest living musical theater composer. So, Adam Gettle's Days of Wine and Roses mm. with uh, Kelly O'Hara and Brian Darcy James is indeed coming to Broadway, which I'm so excited about awesome. because that means we're going to get a recording, which Amazing. means all the good things. Yes. So, I'm super excited about that. We manifested that. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> Although, speaking of new recordings, there was also um, something I was super excited about that maybe didn't turn out as well as I hoped. Uh, a new recording of Oklahoma, womp womp. which is my favorite show. Spoiler alert. I um, didn't know that about I, you. Yes, Oklahoma is my favorite show of all time. A color me surprised. We'll get into it at a certain point. Yeah, <laughs> I but can't It's wait. my favorite. Um, <laughs> shut up for me. <laughs> um, so the recording is notable because it is the first complete recording of the show. Which has all the dance music, all the uh, reprises, all the all the scene the change, scene change music. music. That wow, was my the underscores, part. everything. It's all, Jeez. Yeah. I will say the leads, um, Nathaniel Hackman uh, sings Curly and Sierra Bogus sings Lori, are phenomenally good. The rest of uh, listen once and maybe put it to the side. <laughs> Um, sure. But it is great to, after what, 80-ish years, have a full recording of a show from 1943. It's time. Yes. And then the third thing, um, just for funsies, uh, being that it is getting into the Halloween season, and we're talking about demon barbers today, I also saw a, a little little opera a week or so ago about demon clowns. Uh, God love Pagliacci. <laughs> um, you know, we, uh, we have to expand our horizons of out of course. musical theater. Why we've got not? opera. We've got actual like plays that are fantastic um, that we're trying to bring Forrest into. But yeah, and so tis the season, right? Demon Barbers, Demon Clowns. It works. And that was with the Nashville Opera, by the way, um, uh, who I've just recently gotten into operas. It's kind of something I never thought I would enjoy, but being in the room rather than just listening to the recording, it's a whole different experience and something Mm -hmm. I've found that I'm absolutely loving. They do great work. I've they sung do. in their chorus yeah. a couple of times and really enjoyed it. Did you really? Yeah. Love they it. Do. They do good work. Yep. All right, Forrest, you're up. Let's see. I haven't seen any shows recently. We wrapped up Oliver, so I'm free now on weekends to see shows. <laughs> this week I'm going to see the great Stephanie and oh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's yes. Nest. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> Thank Stephanie you. Stephanie in that lead, leading lady role in the Nurse play. Ratched. So exciting. So that's a pull tight. And then um, this kind of has to do with what I've been listening to. But uh, this Saturday, we're going to see Belmont University do the musical Working. Oh, yeah. The one that Stephen Schwartz put together. A couple, Several composers wrote it. But I had listened to, listened to the original cast album. But there was a newer one. For, I think it's 2017, 2018 that Lin-Manuel Miranda helped write two new songs oh, for. Cool. Write lyrics for some of the new songs. And so I've been listening to that cast recording. It's pretty good. Doesn't compare to the original. Doesn't have the life or the flavor that the original has. It's not that very 70s vibe. But they they cut a lot of songs, several songs, which I kind of appreciated. (laughs) Kind of moves a little faster. So good recording. Not great. Doesn't surpass the original, I'd say. Also recently consumed the 1993 revival of She Loves Me. (gasps) Which, a little spoiler, maybe for later. But um, but that has been an excellent recording. Judy Kuhn definitely stands out in that recording. Crystal Clear voice, maybe potentially 
one of my my favorite recordings she loves me. We'll see, we'll see. I gotta give it give it some time to settle in, but a great recording, I'd say. I'll have to check it out. I haven't heard mm-hmm. that one. Fantastic. Yeah, it's quite good. Although I don't believe that's Judy Kuhn on the recording. Is it not? Mm-mm. Who is it? No, it's um her name is Diane Fratantoni. Oh. Yeah, it's uh Wait, I, was it she in that revival? Judy though? Kuhn was in the revival, yes. What does that mean? Because um, I've seen videos of it, right? Was she yes, Alana? you have. Wow. What Who, which character did she play? Amalia, Amalia. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So no well, she was in I think it was I don't have my all my research oh. done, but I've you know we need to do that. Well, but I believe that we'll she get to was... it next time. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, we'll yeah, we'll we find are... out. You're gonna. That's a little teaser <laughs> that's for a next time. Spoiler alert! As we're doing, she loves me next time. Lenny's got me doing some research. Okay. I love that. Okay, Stephanie, what's up with you? So I wanted to talk about drumroll, please. Stephen Sondheim's final musical. Here we are. It just made its world premiere on September 28th. It began its run at the Sheds Griffin Theater off Broadway. Which, I think that's interesting. I want to talk about that in a second. Sure. And it'll officially open on October 22nd. It's going to have an extended limited run continuing through January 7th of next year. Um, I think it's interesting that Here We Are is going to the shed and is not doing a cold open straight to Broadway. Which seems I, like I think there's a reason the normal but thing. But, so. yeah. you know, the creative team obviously wants to work out the material in front mm-hmm. of a smaller audience before putting it up for the big guns, the Tony contention. But... I'm sure that's the eventual goal for producer Tom mm. Kirday. He He's the one who took uh, the final Candor and Ebb to Broadway in 2015. Uh, the Visit. The, the Visit. visit. Yeah. Oh, funny. Joe Mantello is the directing. He did that Wicked, mm-hmm. Assassins. Rounding out the credits, we've got uh, David Ives did the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, music and lyrics are by... they got a good little cast, too, for that Amazing show, Sondheim. Yeah. They yeah. do. David Hyde Pierce, I love you. Yeah, yeah it's too um, this new two-act Sondheim musical was originally called Square One, and it's been in the works since at least 2014. It was developed by the Public Theater in 2016. Back in 2021, the New York Times reported that Sondheim and Ives had abandoned it entirely. Hmm. Um, but no. Uh, Sondheim died in 2021, but reportedly sanctioned a staging of the musical and considered the work complete. Hmm. Although, another drum roll. <laughs> Cameron McIntosh, good friends with Sondheim. Right. Revealed that Sondheim had played the entire score over the phone to him on the Sunday before he passed away. Stop it. And in his estimation, again, just Cameron's estimation, Mm -hmm. the musical was only 50 to 60% finished. They haven't brought in another composer. I'm I'm very skeptical about this show. I'm really wondering. I'm hopeful but skeptical. And I've read reviews and I hear the first act, very nice. Second act, very light on music. Yeah, surprise. One one song in the second act is something like one or two songs, whatever, which is, yeah, so very skeptical. Maybe that's why they're doing it off Broadway, just to give it a try and see if there's any reception. Massage it into something good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm worried. Know. Oh. I'm worried, but excited. I mean, yeah. I'm gonna I mean, it's fun. It. It's obviously fun anytime to hear his music and Absolutely. his lyrics, right? And I would I'm just love to hear mad. his last mm-hmm. unadulterated right. work. I mean, I'm yep. kind of glad they're not like polluting it with another composer. I'm just no, please God, no. Yeah, um, and it's the third major Sondheim production to be running concurrently in New York City. Mm-hmm. Sweeney awesome. Todd, and of course Merrily, which Merrily. is now in previews, yeah, opening at the Hudson October 10, and yep, that yep. is all we have Great. for our catch up convo. Now we're going to move on to our quick fire quiz. That sound means we've now come to the part of our show where I present a musical theater quiz for Forrest and Lenny, and of course you are listeners at home, to answer with absolutely no preparation whatsoever. Although they they kind of knew since it's October, it's kind of going to be Halloween-y. It's early October now, and as we head into the Halloween season, here's a little quick fire quiz to test your knowledge of Broadway's most haunting shows. So prepare yourself for the musically mysterious and tunefully terrifying, and maybe 
you'll be able to scare up a win against your opponent. Mm. Oh, the eye okay. rolls in the room. I, I lost your eyeballs for like a whole 30 <laughs> seconds. That was awesome. <laughs> to make it more challenging, these clues are going to be told from the perspective of a secondary character in oh, the show. Okay. I can't make it too okay. easy on you guys. Come on. You both have your bells at the ready. Yep, yep, yep. First one to ring in gets to answer first. If that person is wrong, their opponent gets a chance to steal. Number one. A life coach tries to settle into her new family, only to be terrorized by her fiancé's daughter and her ghost friends. Forrest. Beetlejuice. Absolutely. The hint was going to be the subtitle is The Musical, The Musical, The Musical. I actually, I did not know that was the subtitle, but that's awesome. Isn't that fun? Number two, a seasoned opera singer complains about an increase in workplace safety violations and is replaced, yes. The Phantom of the Opera. Of course, she's replaced by a younger rival with an influential coach. And my hint was... The word opera is in the clue. Nice. <laughs> I didn't think you would need that one, but yeah, just in okay. case. Number three. Love that. A university headmistress tries to maintain order in her school despite the efforts of two mismatched roommates. Wicked. Yes. Oh, Very good, nice. Lenny. No. Snap. I was thinking about horror. That's not... Uh, well, it does I, have a witch. It does have a witch it, Yeah, in it, so I, that it. one was borderline. That's my I bad. I should have been thinking outside scary, the box. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's green. Number four. A homeless woman tirelessly tries to bring down a heartless, sadistic baker. Pies are involved, but no, it's not waitress. Lenny. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd, I'm like thinking of all the obscure shows. I'm like, oh, the one we're doing today. Him, Lenny. My goodness. <laughs> Number five. A hunchbacked handyman slash live-in butler and a sister lead a rebellion and end up killing three characters before fleeing in a spaceship. Lenny again. The Rocky Horror Show. Rocky oh, Horror. Okay, I'm sorry, okay. Forrest. Forrest yeah, is not really familiar with that one, but I, I had to include it. Was it four to one? Do you have enough for me to come back in this one? Okay. Uh, no, we got ten <laughs> no, total, okay. so okay, okay, but okay, one okay, of them okay. is only for Lenny, so yeah, uh, you're kind of screwed. Sorry. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, number six. A devout mother suffers a heart attack after stabbing her rebellious daughter. Forrest. Carrie. Hint was, this show is buckets and buckets of bloody good fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> number seven. It. A grouchy shop owner finds fame, fortune, and an adopted son before suffering a floral finish of his forest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Little shop of horrors. That's exactly right. Hint was at the end of his life, he could suddenly see more of a certain plant from the inside. <laughs> yuck, 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 yuck. I have so much fun writing these if you can't tell. Uh, number eight. A hooker with a heart of gold has her throat slit while just trying to find a little sympathy and tenderness. Forrest. That's Jekyll and Hyde. Yes, yeah. that's right. Nice clues. Mm-hmm, thank you. Number nine, a psychic is driven crazy by a rendition of 10,000 bottles of beer on the wall, and she eventually allows herself to be possessed. Lenny. Ghost. Yes, that's oh, right. Oh, that's that. right. I hate ghosts, so. <laughs> <laughs> Number 10, just for Lenny, since oh, he okay. finds this show so very horrifying. An anvil salesman is tired of his rival's <laughs> melodious shenanigans. No white knight is coming to help you with this question, Lenny. Oh, the music man. <laughs> I have to put it in every show now. Ugh, the horrors it. of classic and musical no. theater, you know? <laughs> Just that show in particular, man. Just that song. Oh, My White Knight. It could be three whole steps lower. You guys, and still be towards like the, a cat screaching in the night. Where do you the music oh. man? I have to defend this great American classic Bring from you on. all trying to disparage it. Bring I, mean, it. I can get behind the trouble in River City. That's pretty <laughs> yes, fun. I like that's that. about the only one. Yeah, I'm with you, Lenny. Sorry. Mm. Sorry, Forrest. Mm-hmm. Bit by bit, putting it together. And now it's time to focus on one particular show to go in depth with and discuss slash debate slash argue with love. 
There's a hole in the world like a great black pit, and the vermin of the world inhabit it, and its morals aren't worth what a pig could spit, and it goes by the name of London. At the top of the hole sit the privileged few, making mock of the vermin in the lower zoo, turning beauty into filth and greed. I, too, have sailed the world and seen its wonders, for the cruelty of men is as wondrous as Peru. But there's no place like Yes, London. that's right. Today we're going behind the scenes with the musical Sweeney Todd. Music and lyrics, of course, by Stephen Sondheim. And a book by Hugh Wheeler. Forrest is going to start us off with a synopsis, and then we'll move into some background info from Lenny. Take it away, Forrest. Sweeney Todd is a musical set in 19th century London, but it is about a man named Benjamin Barker, who has been wrongly accused, convicted of a crime, sent to Australia for years. He returns after 15 years in prison, goes by the name of Sweeney Todd. Um, He is planning to reunite with his wife and daughter, but they have been surreptitiously... I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Uh, I guess I have to spoil it. Uh, (laughs) the, The judge has already taken his daughter as his ward and driven his wife crazy and also raped her. It's very sad. It's it's, it's a dark story. What are we doing? You know, it's dark. Um, but he wants to reunite his li- wife, but he, when he gets back, he discovers a seemingly kind woman named Mrs. Lovett, right, who's willing to help him and be his friend. She is a pie shop owner, but uh, times are hard in London. She, and the kitty cats <laughs> yeah. are fast. So true, then. <laughs> kitty cats is quick, you know. So, But his road to revenge leads him to um, open up his old barber shop, where at first he just plans revenge on the judge who ruined his life. But as the judge, he is unable to kill the judge. He starts his madness. This is one of the great parts about the musical that Stephen Sondheim and Hugh Wheeler make this, you know, convoluted plot so amazing. But his madness turns to wanting to kill every human being in the entire human race his revenge is so great but um eventually they start mrs lovett and sweeney todd work together to kill people and put them into their meat pies and serve them to people um the end super gory um everyone dies except uh, i didn't mention tobias they're simpleton um i don't know how to describe him he's a young man who's very boyish he's uh, usually played by a youngish man, but he has the sensibilities of a young boy, right? He has the mental capacity of a younger, much younger person than he is. Um, And in the end, Sweeney discovers that his wife is alive, even though Mrs. Lovett told him she was dead, which caused him to go crazy and kill Mrs. Lovett. Um, Then Toby kills Sweeney Todd. It's a it's a bloody mess. Okay, what can I say? Okay, that is. I'm telling you, that's the best you're gonna get for a synopsis. Okay, that's the best synopsis you're gonna get. Don't look at Wikipedia. Just listen to this review. (laughs) Thank you. That's about as good. You're right. It's so convoluted. There's a lot that goes on. But they it works so well. I mean, we'll get into it. But it works so well. It's very understandable. Paul, when you see on stage, you're like, yes, yes. The twist makes sense. It all comes together. You know. So absolutely, Lenny. Some background. Very, very brief background, as brief as I can make it, because mm. there is a ton of interesting information about the origins of the tale of Sweeney Todd. It could be its own, you know, three-hour podcast in, in and of itself. But the story dates back to the late 1700s and seems to have its roots in Paris and may or may not be based on some kernels of facts concerning a murderous barber and his accomplice, a baker who turns the barber's victims into pies, an urban legend of sorts. Uh, flash forward to the 1840s, London where the story appears in a magazine in a serialized form. Stage adaptations crop up, and the story gets told and retold over and over. 
becomes folklore over the next hundred years or so in various books, stage adaptations, film adaptations, uh, with the story details changing and morphing until we land in 1970 and the story gets dramatized anew and afresh in London by playwright Christopher Bond. Mr. Stephen Sondheim just happened to see this version of the tale uh, and thought that this murderous barber should sing. Mm -hmm. And he was right. (laughs) So Sondheim's Sweeney Todd opens on March 1st, 1979 at the Eurus Theater on Broadway, which is now the Gershwin home to Wicked for the past 20 years. Uh, Directed by the legendary Harold Prince, starring Angela Lansbury, Len Carew, Ken Jennings, Sarah Rice, Edmund... uh, I think it's Edmund Lindeck, uh, Merle Louise, and Victor Garber in principal roles. Mm. Uh, the production was nominated for nine Tony Awards, and it won wow. eight. Jeez. The only one it didn't win was Best Lighting Design. Uh, who won Best Lighting Design, Lenny? Um, uh, I have that. <laughs> Do you remember who was up against the Tonys? Are you Don't kidding look. me? Don't look. Um, uh, 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 How do you have that at your fingertips? Because I learned from last time <laughs> that I have you. all of the information <laughs> at me. Um, the winner for the best lighting design was a gentleman named Roger Morgan for a play called The oh. Crucifier of Blood. Okay, so they added plays in. Plays so and musicals might, were okay. uh, uh, gotcha. all together yeah. at that point. Um, so, where, where, where are we at? Uh, 920 Awards winning eight. The production closed June 29th, 1980, having played 557 performances. It embarked on a national tour starring uh, Angela Lansbury again, and this time with George Hearn as Sweeney Todd. Who we just heard. Who we just Mm -hmm. heard leading us in. Uh, That production was filmed in 1981, and thank the theater gods that it was. Mm -hmm. Um, There have been three Broadway revivals in 1989, starring Beth Fowler and Bob Gunton. 2005 with Patti LuPone and Michael Cerverus. That production was notable for the concept um, employed by director John Doyle, where the actors were also the orchestra, and it's way pared down from the you know grand mm. operatic that Hal Prince put on initially. And then the third Broadway revival, uh, currently running, starring Josh Groban and Annalee Ashford. It's constantly revived in London, West End, regional theaters, opera companies, major concert versions. Notably, a 2000 concert, uh, which was filmed and shown on PBS and available on YouTube with Patti LuPone, George Hearn, and Audrey McDonald, and Neil Patrick Harris. There was also a 2014 concert filmed with Emma Thompson, and opera star Bryn Terfel, along oh, with... Oh, I love him. You know him? Yes, yeah, he's, he's the Welsh guy. He just sang at the Coronation of the King. He is oh, wonderful I'm singer, great. classical yeah, singer. He's great. Yeah, I, and him. I actually just watched this concert recently in preparation for I need the I link. seen it. It's on YouTube. I'll okay. send it to you. Yeah. Um, and Audrey McDonald again as the baker's... Uh, baker's wife. A beggar woman. <laughs> <laughs> Different show. Um, and Christian Borrell also is in that that production. Oh. Um, also, we have a 2007 musical film starring Johnny Depp and mm-hmm. Helena Bonham Carter and the late great Alan Rickman, etc., oh. etc. The point is, from its original production, Sweeney Todd has never gone away. It's always being constantly revived and rehashed and renewed and yeah. rejiggered. It's fantastic, uh, it, and it deserves it. Um, if I tried to name even a small portion of the notable names who have played the principal roles in major productions of the show over the year, we would be here literally all night. Mm-hmm. Um, the show is epic, it's legendary, the material is challenging and layered and rewarding to perform, and is like catnip to actors and singers. It is mm. truly one of the great all-time shows. Yeah. And that's as brief as I could make you did the good. background of yeah. that. Great. It's just can, so much. Can we just say, too, the original big financial failure, by the yeah, way, too. Yeah, I didn't know that. Big yeah. failure. Yeah, it lost all its surprise. money yeah. so, on its investment. But. Yep. 
and did wow. it didn't do well and on when it went west to California nope. that that did not do well. well what happened to change that? I, I mean, it did better in New York, but even then, I think well, I think it part of it was how Prince's vision, right? He wanted that big, he wanted the yep. huge orchestra, he wanted it in the biggest one of the biggest Broadway theaters. Yeah. Um, whereas Sondheim had always envisioned as uh, envisioned it as a scaled down, more intimate kind of show, yep. which interesting. Well, we'll talk about it, right? we, we yeah, and anytime we will talk about any Sondheim show going forward, like that's going to be generally yeah. the, the case. It's, it's a no huge money. financial yeah. failure and then <laughs> word of mouth gets around and stock and amateur mm-hmm. and tours and then Everybody it becomes, loves it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It right. just takes time for discovery. Sure. Guess what? You've made it this far into the show with us, friends, uh-huh. and you're about to be rewarded with the good stuff. The fun stuff. The stuff we originally started the whole podcast for. The curtain call segment. I'll give the guys a topic, all in reference to our feature show of the episode, of course, and then they'll discuss and disagree, and hopefully you'll learn something you didn't know along the way. You ready, guys? Let's do it. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. He served a dark and a vengeful god. He served a dark and a vengeful god. What happened then? Well, that's the play, and he wouldn't want us to give it not Sweeney. Not Sweeney Todd. The demon bother of feet. Street. First of all, can you each tell us about your background with the show and how you became familiar with it? And let's have Forrest, since Lenny was just talking, Forrest, you go first. Sure. Um... When I started listening to musicals, I quickly uh, was turned on to Stephen Sondheim. I think this might have been the second Stephen Sondheim musical I listened to. I knew it from the, I started listening to the cast recording. I listened to Company first, and I said, oh, this is good. And then you, once you get into musical theater, you realize what a giant Stephen Sondheim is, you know, as a composer, as a lyricist. Um, and so I listened to that recording. I did not realize till a year or so, it was the original Broadway recording with Angela Lansbury, um, that I only had the highlights disc. There's a little <gasps> ribbon to the left side, and it says highlights. And about a year ago, I realized, wait a minute, I haven't <laughs> even listened to the whole thing. You know, it came in that I showed Lenny this. I had I bought a bundle from Playbill of 25 CDs, like essential CD recordings, cool. and that was one of them. Did not realize it was the highlight disc though. So a little upset by that that they tricked me. But um, after I, I loved the show. Then I watched the recording of George Hearn and uh, Angela Lansbury in that, uh, well, not original cast, but when they did it in Los Angeles. Um, then went on to the 2005 revival with Patti Lapone. Loved that recording. It took a minute to get adjusted to it. We'll talk about that in the pros and cons we of it. We will indeed. And then um, I was thrilled when they announced revival. Not... Not 100% thrilled with the casting. I'm sure Lenny and I will disagree with this. I don't. <laughs> I didn't... I didn't sit right with me when they announced casting, but we'll get into all okay. that. But yeah, so I've always loved the show since I listened to it. I always recognized it as uh, one of the greatest pieces yeah. of musical theater. Classic. Lenny, background. Yeah, so um, I was 20 when I discovered Sweeney Todd. I was working with a vocal coach, and he gave me the song Joanna to work on. I was completely unfamiliar with the score, so... This is back in the olden days before YouTube and whatnot. So um, what he played it for me. It didn't make sense. It's rhythmically, you know, sometime in general, rhythmically weird, musically weird. Complex. Particularly yeah. when you are kind of, uh, your, your bread and butter is Rodgers and Hammerstein. Can, and we're can I the, ask? Yes. So was it Anthony's Joanna? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it was Anthony's okay, Joanna. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So I said, I need to figure out what this is. So I went down to the Tower Records, RIP, mm. and scrolled through all the cast recordings to see if I could find it. What is this weird art on the cover? I don't understand. So I get it home and I play it and then play it again, play it again. Oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life. And it all kind of clicked and made sense. Um, mind blown emoji, if you will. <laughs> So I was told that there was the the video of Lansbury and George Hearn, and uh, I could not get to the blockbuster video fast <laughs> enough to see if I could find it. Again, R.I.P. Yeah. Yes, R.I.P. <laughs> and there it was. And I cannot tell you how many late fees I had on that video because I kept getting it, kept watching it, because I just uh, couldn't fathom the kind of genius, weird, insane thing that I was watching that I loved that was... <laughs> kind of life-changing, as it will, if in that like young, tender age, 18, 19, 20, and you're discovering all this stuff, and uh, your world is being opened up to what it can be. So, um, And Sweeney Todd actually was my second uh, Sondheim score that I... What was your first? Well. Into Jinx. the Woods. Jinx, yeah. into the oh, Woods. Into the Woods. Oh, into the woods. Okay, favorite. I take it back. Why did my third one? Because I think uh, I knew Into the Woods. And come to that's you. sort okay. of Fair like enough. the yeah. entry point. Yeah. 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 I kind of forget yeah. about Into the Woods, yeah. okay. Um, so that's... That's it. And it, it just never has left. I've, mm. Sweeney Todd has always been there. It's in your DNA now. It is absolutely in my DNA. Love it. Forrest, rank this musical from 1 to 10, worst to best, for you personally. And tell us why you chose that ranking. Oh, it's got to be a 10. I feel like since we've done 1776 and Sweeney Todd, I'm usually, I feel like I'm a pretty harsh critic, but we've done two of some of my favorite shows, so I'm giving it pretty high rankings, but it's got to be a 10. One of the best musicals ever uh, written. The lyrics... The music is so complex. I feel like you could take a college course on the music. You could spend days deciphering the lyrics. We're going to talk about some of it later, but it's just a whole three course, five course meal sitting there. Absolutely. Okay, so is this in your your top 10 favorite musicals? Of all time, um, I would have to pull out that list, but I think it... It's you, close. If do it's you know where it is on mine? So I have a list of my favorite scores. Do yeah. you know where it is on mine? No, I don't. I'm going to say number three. It's number two. Okay, it's my okay. second favorite Broadway score of What's all first? time. So Falsettos is number one. Oh, that's right. Because right. I do I do love Sweeney Todd so much, but sometimes I lean into more admiring it than like truly loving it. But what can I, I mean, it's the second best score out of however many. So it's That's a really interesting yeah, distinction, so amazing, though. The okay. admiration versus yeah. the touching you and it's just love and it's just right. in oh, you. Yeah. That's what we, we should have a whole show just on that. Yes, yes. And, we'll, and we'll get into more yeah. when we talk about it, I'm sure. I keep saying that. Like, but go ahead, Lenny. Lenny, I, no, one to ten. I yeah. totally feel what you just said. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes more appreciating than loving. I'm right there with you. Um, as genius as I know that this is, it's not my favorite Sondheim score, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably in my top ten, but not, uh, you know close to the top. Um, but my ranking, like you asked, is 9.5. It is nearly perfect, I think. It is a legitimate masterpiece. And can I just stop and say, before we really get into this, um, you know, we're both harsh critics. We're going to rip this thing apart and put it back together. And who are we to have any opinions <laughs> up against Sondheim and Hugh Wheeler so and Hal Prince and the yeah. creators of this piece? But um, that's what makes a masterpiece a masterpiece, that you can kind of rip it apart and put it back together. And um, I had something else that I was going for there, but I forgot what it is. So let's just go. All right. Why the 0.5 knockoff? I got to know. <laughs> uh, because maybe there's something better. Is I would say, is there a musical that's 10 out of 10 for you, though? 
Like I'm saying of I'm I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying of all the musicals, this has to be a ten. If there if this isn't a ten, then what's a ten for me? You know, is there one for you? I think that there is. I was thinking so about it a lot today. No, it's <laughs> not Oklahoma. It should have been. Um, okay, so. <laughs> thank God. Shut up. Um, no, I think there is one, and I'm. We'll say it if, if we ever talk about okay, that show. Okay. Um, Ooh. But intriguing. Uh, I don't know because there are. I, Okay, this is what I was trying to say earlier, a minute ago. The .5 knockoff is because I think there are legitimate things that maybe they could have, should have tightened or changed or looked at differently before they froze the show. I agree. Um, And it also has to do with the appreciation more than loving. I I think they're kind of, I mean, these rankings are sort of... uh, Mm -hmm. um, Arbitrary. Yeah. yeah, Sure, sure. Subjective. Totally subjective. Mm -hmm. So, and maybe just because I, you know, felt like... You're salty today to give this rating. I don't know. <laughs> Always leaving room for improvement. Absolutely. Okay, you know. Tomorrow it might be an 11. You never know. <laughs> 100%. All right. Forrest, tell us your favorite and least favorite moment in the show. I think my favorite moment, the sh- point for me when the show really comes alive is Mrs. Lovett's entrance. Okay. That Worst Pies in London song. Um, Angela, watching that Angela Lansbury recording, it just... She jumps off the stage. Uh, she's amazing. Um, everything she does, her accent, her characterizations, it's just hilarious. It just, like I said, that's the point that the show comes alive. Before that, I'm a little bored. And after that, there's sections where I'm like, oh, we could cut this. But no, once she comes on and sings Worst Pies in London, I'm all in. And you know, she was on the fence about taking the role until Sondheim played her that piece because her quote was, the show isn't called Mrs. Lovett. Uh So true. I don't want to be second banana. (laughs) But then he played her that song. and She was like, okay, I'm in. Can I tell you something? Um, um, in Sunday in the Park with George, okay, Mandy Patinkin, uh, Sondheim wanted Mandy Patinkin, so they called and asked him, and, but Mandy did not want to audition. Um, and Stephen Sondheim said, everyone has to audition except Angela Lansbury. Does not audition. <laughs> She's good to go. That. Yeah, so, um, but that's, that's just a fun little fact. But, that's so that's my favorite moment, probably. Least favorite moment, probably the contest. That's kind of where it starts to drag for me. When uh, the Pirelli stuff, I don't yeah. love that. Well, we'll get into that in least favorite song. But so okay. probably least favorite moment of the contest. And they even they had a, a longer at one point where he like pulled someone's tooth out too, and they yep. cut some of it. Jeez. I just think they should have cut a little more, in yeah, my opinion. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Lenny. Um, well, I'm gonna piggyback in on what he was saying. My least favorite moment in the show is also the Pirelli stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Pirelli stuff. It has to be there because there are plot points built in. Hinge on it. Yeah. 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 But yes, I'm like, okay, come on, come on, come on. Because we've had up to this point, like everything has been exposition up to this point, basically, except for maybe Worst Pies in London. And at this point, we're 30 minutes into the show, That's maybe. Yeah. And it's like, come on, give me Let's something. Move Let's move it yeah. along. Let's go. Um, but that's the introduction of Tobias, which is important. It's the it's the setup for the murder of Pirelli, which starts everything going. You can't do it without it, but I wish they would have... This is the point five. Could have been true. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can I say, too, this is the first part of the show where we shift away from Sweeney and Mrs. Lovett, yes. too. And I think, I think it's Sondheim who points it out, but I can't remember. But he said um, that after they took the focus away from them... Is kind of where they did some cutting there, but probably they maybe could have done more. Mm-hmm. So interesting. All right, yeah. let's go on to wait, favorite. Wait, wait, wait. Oh no, nope, yeah, my favorite. Yeah, favorite What's your favorite I, moment? I, I, oh yeah, right, right, right. Sorry, yeah. Okay, so because this is a masterpiece and it's all in the minutia, I have like five, but I'll try to go through <laughs> them really quickly. Okay. Um, my first favorite moment is 
in the prelude, even before the opening number begins, that factory whistle that oh, God. Uh, so great, isn't it? Chairs. I Iconic. know. Yes. There's a there's a meme Iconic. about that actually. Yeah, even. it tells you that you have no idea what you are being set up for. Prepare for anything. Yes. And second favorite moment in the show is the musical build up to Sweeney Todd's entrance. It has got to be one of the greatest, most terrifying entrances musically it's just it builds and builds and builds and builds and the sopranos are screaming and you yeah. know that sweeney oh. is standing back the actor playing sweeney standing backstage mm. saying gosh after all this don't screw it up kid <laughs> it's incredible Also, for for tension, sheer tension and <gasps> gasp-inducing, the uh, intro to Pretty Women, where uh, the Judge Turpin is finally in Sweeney Todd's mm-hmm. chair. Will he or won't he? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, hilarity ensues. But uh, tension-wise, that's one of the most incredible moments I've ever experienced. Agreed. The sequence uh, song scene, Not While I'm Around, late in Act 2, um, because the song is great, of course, but you've got... St- 12 things happening at once. You've got Tobias figuring out what's going on. You've got Mrs. Lovett figuring out that Tobias has figured out what's it's going all on coming together, and what yeah. to do about it. Yeah. And it's just this tense chess match. Uh, viscerally, uh, res- elicits a visceral response to any watcher. And if it doesn't, then check your pulse, basically. <laughs> um, it's a crazy, crazy moment. Um, and then... <laughs> There's a, a moment in uh, middle of Act One that just makes me giddy every time I hear it. It's the song is um, "Kiss Me Part Two. Um, and I'll talk about this later, but um, just there's uh, Anthony and Joanna's interaction, the harmonies with the Beatle and the judge. It's just mm-hmm. a crazy moment that just makes me like tingle with excitement. That's all. <laughs> That's awesome. 22 favorite moments from Lenny. No, I'm <sighs> those no, were all come great. On. I, I actually picked 15 more. I, I got chills when you were talking about the opening number. Actually, just like yeah. as I was back, yeah, I could feel it. I yeah. completely agree. It's amazing. Um, segueing into favorite least favorite songs, Forrest. My favorite song, the best song in the score. Prob- it's in my top 10, top 20 favorite. Do you know what it's going to be, Lenny? I don't. Give me a good face with it. I don't. You don't know what the best <laughs> song in the score is by far. I mean, I love uh, Joanna, I love Pretty Women, are, I love Nothing's Gonna Harm You. There's I mean. one that's just an expert musical theater song just for what it does musically, what it does dramatically. It's the epiphany that he has um, close to the end of Act 1, if you do have an intermission. Mm-hmm. Some, I, don't, I think the 05 one didn't have an intermission. I'm sorry, but so near once he almost kills the judge and he takes his vengeance for one man and it musically... Stephen Sondheim's able to switch that to, oh, he wants to kill everyone now, which you're like, well, how does that work? But in the song, it works. He's having like a schizophrenic breakdown, some religious imagery. Um, in the play, the Christopher Bond play that you referenced, uh, it takes up about three lines, mm-hmm. maybe, that Sweeney Todd's like, oh, well, if I can't get the judge, I'm going to kill everyone else. It's more awkwardly said than that. But in the musical, Stephen Sondheim took that and just makes it into one of the greatest songs, probably songs of all time. Because in all of the whole human race, Mrs. Lovett, there are two kinds of men and only two. There's one staying put in his proper place and the one with his foot in the other one's face. Look at me, Mrs. Lovett, look at you. We all deserve to die. Even you, Mrs. Lovett, even I. 
Okay, now, so your least song, favorite Least song. favorite song. Um, this one, I don't know if you count it, it was cut. I do not like the judges, Joanna. Stephen Sondheim loved that song. I think Stephen Sondheim like relished making the audience tingle, like not in a good way, in a bad way. Okay, making the audience, <laughs> <laughs> making the audience squirm in their squirm, seats. Squirm, there's you know? a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. squirm. We can go there if you want. Um, uh, Stephen Sondheim relished making the audience squirm in their seats. You know how uncomfortable this moment was for everyone. He wanted to revel in that. I agree, it is uncomfortable. Let's. I think you should just leave it out. I think now it is. It tends to be done in performance. It was cut from the original. Um, that was included on the cast album, wasn't it? I would know. Got the highlights <laughs> one, okay? But, um, <laughs> I don't think that was in the highlights one, but I'm pretty sure it is in the original album. I think it is. Um, I believe it is, even though it was cut from the original production. Right. But that, for me, is just a little unnecessary. Though, Stephen Sondheim argued that it did introduce the judge musically, and otherwise he'd be the only character that wasn't introduced with the song. So. Interesting. But it was part of that middle section they cut along with the contest. They decided right. to get rid of that. Cool. All right. Mr. West. So, um, yet again, I have multiple answers. So, really, and this harkens back to the um, appreciate versus love. There are four correct answers to the favorite song question. Of course. Uh, Or the best best song, I guess. Best versus favorite. Um, Your answers are Epiphany, uh, Worst Pies in London, A Little Priest, and Not While I'm Around. That's like the four, four of the greatest songs ever written for the musical theater, certainly in this score. In any production, any recording will be measured by this song. So the obvious choices. And each, we, I mean, I could, we could spend hours on each of those. But my personal deeper cuts, because um, I think maybe that makes it a little more interesting than just going with the sure, obvious, yeah, um, yeah. is the opening of Act 2, God That's Good, which was never a favorite of mine up until uh, researching for this. It was always one that I skipped over, and I don't have any reason why to do that. But you look at it, you listen to it, and there are... It's a three-act play. There's so much song. going on. There's yeah. so it's much so going on. Let's listen to it. Listen, this is a good time. Yeah. We'll put yeah. this in and listen. Okay, going on, Lenny. Going on, the next song, the Joanna Quartet, is maybe my actual favorite yes, song in this okay, score. Okay, I agree with that. It's amazing. It's a fantastic it's song. It um, takes us uh, through the passage of time. It um, has Sweeney sort of saying goodbye to the daughter he never really knew and will never n- know. He's coming to that. And it's a sweet and tender and lovely. And all the while... He is murdering people throughout this beautiful <laughs> little song. And the it's juxtaposition yeah. is horrific and hysterical all at once. Um, you also got, during this uh, quartet, you've got Anthony looking for Joanna. You've got Joanna locked in the madhouse, hoping to be rescued. And you've got the bigger woman saying the city is on fire. Um, it's a great, 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 great song. And then the fourth is, I've mentioned it already, um, Kiss Me Part 2. That's mm. where Anthony and Joanna have just met and have just are making their plan to escape the clutches of her evil uh, guardian, the judge. And uh, Joanna and Anthony, I've never thought, were the brightest bulbs. <laughs> so it, it, they're just sort of funny in their, in their um, you know, making of the plans. You've also got the beetle and the judge uh, talking about going to meet Sweeney Todd and getting the shave. And it's just harmonies everywhere. And Joanna and Anthony, and they're, it's crazy. It's beautiful. And it just kind of makes my ear slap a little bit in a good way. 
And my least favorite, I'm going to go um, and say that uh, Mea Culpa, the Judge's Joanna song, mm. definitely, whenever yeah. it's included, is my least favorite. Um, there's a segment late in Act 2 called Parlor Songs, yeah, which I strange. just hate. Yeah. Um, the song is what it is, but it also just stops the mm-hmm. proceedings cold. Agreed. There may be a little bit of a plot point hidden in there that we need to deal with, I guess, but we can circumvent that song. But those were easy choices. Here's one you may fight me on. Okay. I 100% think By the Sea needs to go. <gasps> I love that one. It's a good song. I don't know about its placement it's in so the show. It's cute and fun and sweet. We need a little lighthearted moment. It's, I love it. Do we, Maybe. though? Yes, we do. We need I, a place for our brains and our hearts to pause. I <laughs> always felt like By the Sea and Not While I'm Around just don't really fit in the moment they're in in that show. I get. Really? I understand dramatic. Not While I'm Around, I love watching it dramatically happen because you're right. There is so much going on. Yeah. But those two just kind of feel out of step with me with the rest of the score. I'm really? not going to lie. Yeah, wow. those two. Surprised. So I'd, that, I'm not going to argue with you about By the Sea. I think it's a good song. Not my favorite one in Sweeney Todd. It's a good song, yeah. just not for that, sh- for my opinion, not for that show, not for that moment. I, mm. It's probably there because Angela Lansbury contractually needed an act <laughs> two more. solo. Yeah. <laughs> but like, right. it just stops everything. And, and Oh, it's got some good lyrics, though. It does. They Put all it in do. a different Jeez. show, do oh, it in concerts. I'm here for it, but it just stops oh, the what proceedings. Is, um, one of my favorite lyrics in that song is... A seaside wedding could be devised. My rumpled bedding legitimized. Mm-hmm. I thought she said a seaside wedding would be divine. Why did I think Sondheim would do a slant rhyme? But <laughs> until recently, I guess it was one of these read through or listen throughs, and I realized, oh, Wait devised. Yeah, with mm-hmm. uh, what was Makes the other more word? Sense that yeah. Way. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so brilliant good. lyrics. Yeah. My God. But a seaside wedding could be devised. Me rampled bedding legitimized. Me eyelids are flatter, I turn into butter. The moment I mutter, I do. All right, so favorite characters, and if you feel like it, throw in your favorite actor to have portrayed the role, Forrest. I guess I'm just taking the basic answers here, you know. I love Mrs. Lovett. I love Sweeney Todd. Those are the two best characters. And I do, I think I like Sweeney Todd as a character more than I like Mrs. Lovett. I think I'm more invested in Sweeney Todd's story in the end. And I know there's a lot of side characters. They mostly don't do anything for me. I'm very invested in the story of Sweeney Todd, okay? Um... And who's my favorite to play? Oh, this, I don't know, is this controversial? Ooh. My favorite Sweeney is Michael Cerberus. Interesting. I, it's not my favorite cast recordings we'll talk about, but he is my favorite Sweeney. Hmm. I think he's awesome. I think his voice just fits that role, unlike some people who, are, <laughs> who have played the role. Um, I think his Do voice is perfect. I think he's rhyme so, with Robin? Oh, maybe. <laughs> we might talk about that. But um, I just think he's amazing in that role. He's so creepy. Just great. And that's the production I watched before we did this. I don't know if I mentioned that, but yeah, before we did this podcast, that's the one. I'd seen the original, but that one, man, and I loved it. Loved watching them. Lenny, same question. I'm also going to have to be basic. Mrs. Lovett (laughs) is one of the greatest creations in musical theater. Indeed. Period. Full stop. Yeah. and who's played it the best? Angela Lansbury. Everybody has been chasing her since 1978. It's, the original and still yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of her choices, a lot of the looks are cliche, but they're cliche because they're, they're work. They're brilliant. Them, yeah. yeah. The list of performers just off the top of my head who've done this part. Angela Lansbury, Dorothy Loudon, Patti Lapone, Emma Thompson, Imelda Staunton, Helena Bonham Carter, Annalie Ashford, Christine Baranski, like forever and ever and ever. 
everybody wants to play this part for a reason. She gets great material. That's one thing. But then what's so cool about her for me, I, I thought started thinking about it from, you know, Christine Baranski's perspective as an actor. <laughs> what makes this part so cool? And one thing that I kind of landed on was there are so many holes in her story as written. She There's so much the actor can fill in for interpretation. Make it her own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's very little explicitly stated about Mrs. Lovett other than she makes pies. I never thought about that. That's yeah, true. it's really cool. So as an actor, to be able to fill in that backstory. You can personalize it. Yeah. Right, 100%. Uh, she's the villain, or she's a villain. She's tenderly and motherly, yes. She's Todd's yes man. She requires comedy and high camp and melodrama. I mean, it's it's so good, the, the way it's written. Um, and I can't think... I don't know, you didn't ask this question explicitly, but I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know who else could play it the way Lansbury did um, at that time, or even this time. I mean... For me, you've got to have that humor and the pathos and the motherly and the villain. You've got to be able to do it all. Knife-wielding Mrs. Potts is kind of what <laughs> I came up with. Like, I don't know if yeah. that's... But uh, that's the energy she has. The closest I kind of was able to land on maybe was Bernadette Peters in her prime, Ooh. like late 80s, early 90s. I don't know if she ever had the voice to sing it. But she has that, that cute, quirky charm and the silliness about her. But I bet oh, wow. she could cut you. You know what I'm saying? I'd, I'd buy that recording. I'd listen. I, I guess totally personality-wise, yeah. wow. That, maybe, That is I something I've not thought of. Me neither. Um, um, Stephanie, do you know who Dorothy Loudon is? No. So she played the original <laughs> Mrs. Hannigan and Annie in the original cast. Oh, she'd she probably the re- be great. Yeah, and so she was the replacement for Angela in the original cast. And it's so funny. I think there's a clip of her doing the worst pies in London on YouTube. And she makes London a three-syllable word. She's the worst pies in London. <laughs> just it out. It's so <laughs> funny. I love Dorothy Loudon. She's amazing. That's but uh, just she very a, interesting a thing, to see her. Sure. So. She's a character. Yeah. yeah. Well, Forrest, what would you change about the show? Um, we discussed, I have one cut we already discussed and one that we haven't really discussed yet. I'm cutting the contest probably or trimming it down to make it store those dramatic moments work, but we don't really need all that More time. succinct, yeah. And then there's a moment in the second act where uh, Sweeney Todd says, Anthony, we got to train you to be a wig maker so we can get into the <laughs> asylum. And then God, he gets God. in there and just immediately pulls a gun out. Like, okay, maybe we didn't need to do <laughs> The wig maker, but so I'm pro- we got it. There's got to be a way to work that I never better. Okay, that. so That's strange. Really funny. Yeah, yeah. It's not on most of the cast recordings, if I'm not mistaken. No, it's not any that, of them. But that's it's just okay. and yeah. it's a moment in the show. It's like, oh, yeah, we're gonna be a wig. It just it happens all of a sudden. He's like, we need to train you to be a wig maker. He's like, a lot, and he hasn't yeah. like repeated. I don't. I forget which melody it's to. Um, I think it's to a whole. Uh, there's tawny and there's golden saffron. There's flaxen and there's blonde. Yeah, that's it's kind of its own Pretty women is women. what it is. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I knew it was one of the melodies. Good job, Lenny. Good job. Thanks. You said it's not a melody, then you literally hummed it. Yeah. You'll eventually get there, right? Lenny. Yes. What would you change about the show? Well, I've already said cut by the sea and parlor songs. Quick. And yes, uh, you're cutting by the sea. I'm cutting, cutting by it? the sea. Yes, Jeez, here's I what I want. I didn't want to cut. Look, <laughs> from the from the end of the Joanna Quartet in Act Two, I want us fast tracked into terror and horrific situations. I want to get to this end. Um, and I don't think a way to get there is to take a three or four minute comedy number, <laughs> smoke break type situation. It's just it loses the momentum for me. Just like yeah. the wig maker sequence, like sure. everything after Joanna reprise, 
I yeah. don't need yeah. or I need to be reworked until we get to, you know, the... Uh, the what, Moving the, the darkness forward. Thank you. Yes. Um, so, yeah, cut those. Um, I there, Oh, there's one specific line that I want cut from the script. Um, I think they got lazy or they missed something or maybe I'm just finding too much there. Um, so we we have the Senior Pirelli barbering contest in Act 1. Uh, Beetle Bamford is there, uh, the judge's second-hand man, and he says, Mr. Todd, you do good work. Where can I find you? And Sweeney Todd says, come to see me in Fleet Street above Mrs. Lovett's pie shop, and I will give you, without a penny's charge, the closest shave you will ever know. And the audience erupts in laughter because that's, ooh, foreshadowing. We know what's happening, and the Beetle doesn't. Great. So flash forward to um, Pretty Women, and the judge comes in, and um, the judge says, um, or Sweeney's saying, what can I do for you? A styling of your hair, a blah, 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 blah. And uh, the judge says, but first, sir, I think a shave. And Sweeney says, the closest I ever gave. They have the same joke in twice. quotes twice. Hmm. Okay. And, I th- and I say that. I've watched the um, Lansbury version recently, the the Johnny Depp movie and the concerts all in preparation for this. And every time it just hits me, why are we doing two of the same joke? Yeah, no, that's it true. undercuts the second one. And the second one oh. is the one you want to, would want to hit harder. I would imagine. Um, so I would cut that, wow. that one line. And yeah. that's my 0.5 deduction from a 10. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, can I back up for a second? Sure. Yeah. Um, you asked about the, um, Favorite character in the show. Yes. And I said Mrs. Lovett, which I stand by 100%. I had in my notes here another character that I sort of overlooked before we moved on. And that character is the ensemble. This show has maybe the greatest ensemble. Used to such great effect. Yes. I mean, amazing. Yes. They are a character of themselves. The Sopranos are just ridiculous. You have deep baritones and basses. Uh, woven into the score, it's crazy, crazy good music, crazy good opportunities for actors, and, and we'll get into this, uh, the ensemble is sorely missed when they are excised from the show, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Gotcha. Okay, next question is, what would make it difficult to produce on the community theater level? I'm thinking the chair might be hard for mm. some folks to get a hold of and or make. What do you think, Forrest? That is a good point. You know, and I, I thought about this a lot, and I did not think of the chair and the stuff, how they operate. Because I think in the John Doyle one, literally, they have them sit in the chair, and then when they kill them, they have them get up and stand up, and like they put a bloody uh, smock on them or something. So that's how they solve Easy that. way out. Yeah. Um, it, probably the hardest part of it, it's basically an opera. So if you're a community theater, you better have some opera singers Big to go. Big old okay. voices, yeah. Um, I will say most of the hurdles needed to do this production, John Doyle cleared a lot of those in 2005. <laughs> so if you're looking to put on a community theater production, if you watch that, there are a lot of good, good helpful example. hints, yep. ways to scale it down. If you just watch the Angela Lansbury original one on YouTube, you'd be like, yeah, there's no way my community Next. theater is doing this. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. So. What do you think, Lenny? Um, I think the music. Like mm. what Forrest said, the, uh, it's, it's hard, hard music. Yeah. And the more I listen, the harder it gets. Um, Remember when we tried to sing Pretty Women last week? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, a hard, it's just yeah, so... It's the melody. After we recorded Ridiculous. last week, we all went upstairs. We had a little singing and session. <laughs> Pretty Women. It was, it was very humorous, yes. but fun. But yes. so fun. So fun. But I will say that I think that you 
your community theater puts out, hey, we're doing Sweeney Todd, you are going to get the best of the best of the best singers in the tri-state area mm-hmm. to come out for it. So that that's it. And and to piggyback on what Forrest was saying about like the, the 2005 revival, John Doyle solving a lot of your problems for you, scaling it back, the um, 2014 concert that had Emma Thompson and Bryn Terfel in it, the way that they, uh, I think Lonnie Price directed that uh, concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he whenever a kill would happen, he would um, have a handful of fake blood that the judge or the Sweeney would have or whoever is being killed, and they would just sort of cover their... I shouldn't cover my face. (laughs) (laughs) They'd cover it on their face, so they have a face full of blood representing I am now dead rather than buckets of blood splurting out into the audience. Or trying to do something cheesy with lights or ribbons or something. That's just always distracts the audience. They did do red lights in John Doe's production, too. The lights would go red. If you have to do it, you have to do it. But I like that. That sounds good. Yeah, it's. I think it um, lends itself to interpretation or... uh, not challenges, but opportunities. I like that. That's good. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay. How do you guys feel about the 2007 movie adaptation by Tim Burton? I'll let you go first, Lenny. You probably have more to say <laughs> on that. But... Um, I give it two enthusiastic thumbs up. Out of ten, out of, hopefully? Uh, out of <laughs> <laughs> two and a half. Um, no, I think it is... I think Tim Burton was a good director for the material. I think that without Tim Burton and without Johnny Depp, that movie does not get made. Or, or any any film Agreed. version of Sondheim, Sweeney Todd, it doesn't, doesn't get happen. made. Yeah. So maybe you're grading on a curve, perhaps, but I remember sitting in the theater in late 2007, early 2008, whatever it was, and thoroughly enjoying myself. And I did rewatch it uh, over the past couple of weeks. And some of the like CGI that they used didn't really age well. Um, and you have to overlook a few things like that, but it doesn't. And I'm speaking, for example, the opening credit sequence. It's um, an anim, kind of an animated sequence, I guess. Whereas you know, 15 years ago when it was done on the big screen, it looked great. But through no, the 2023 so lens, it's a little cheesy. But it it works still. Um, I think that Tim Burton really respected the material and honored it while putting his own stamp on it. Um, it's probably as good as any adaptation was going to be. Um, it does go smaller, and it, as I said a minute ago, it, exci- it excises the ensemble, which is to its detriment, but um, it probably had to happen like that. I mean, can you see in 2007 a big chorus of Londoners singing, God, that's good, and the audience not laughing them off the screen? Probably not. Yeah. I don't know. Um it's uh, it's got kind of one foot in camp and one foot in horror, and then a couple of toes in the musical category, and it works. It for me, it just works. It cut a lot of the songs in half, and no, Helena Bottom Carter is not somebody I would put in her album to listen. Just to. Just about to say, the only thing that kills that whole movie for me is her voice. She's so bad. I'm sorry. She I can't hits stand the her. notes and she oh. makes it happen. She acts it great. She's a wonderful actress, but I, I just her voice. Oh. I would never choose to listen to her version of Mrs. Lovett or anything else as a singer, but. Um, if that's the price I have to pay to see a really cool, visually, aesthetically, aesthetically, visually pleasing musical. She looks film, great. She acts great. it well. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here for it. Um, I think the, uh, there's just so much to like in it. If, if you can, as a musical theater nerd, set that apart as its own animal from right. the Not show. Not compare it too closely. Yeah, to you the, can't. Ellen Bonham Carter it's its will never thing. be Angela Lansbury. Nope. And you know, and nobody will ever be anybody. It's 
for what it is, it's, it's fantastic. Well done. Do you yeah. agree, Forrest, or do you disagree? Um, I'm on the fence. I really, I love movies. I love musicals. I hate movie musicals. <laughs> Even that, I do not liking people. I do not like people singing on screen. Which I was reading in. I'm reading "Finishing the Hat" right now by Stephen Sondheim. Oh, Solomon. great! Um, in some of his essays, he's uh, he talked about when he was a kid. He liked all types of movies except musical yeah. movies. Okay, that's um, really so, funny. Which, so I've I felt bad. I felt quote. validated in that. But so I did. I did watch. I did dutifully watch. Sweeney Todd. I just sat there. My ears were bleeding the whole time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I um, I, re- I really appreciate the acting. Um, I it's very atmospheric. You mm-hmm. definitely feel like you're in the Tim Burton world of 19th century London or somewhere in his imagination of mm-hmm. London. Um, but yet Carter voices me. But I love her. Some of her acting choices are quite There's excellent. some tender it's, moments yeah, in there yeah. that she, she um, brings and, to it and you have a full face close yes. up that you don't get right. on stage. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's true. So those acting moments, some of the acting moments from Johnny Depp, I thought Johnny Depp was too young to play this um, character though. Uh, but I mean, you can make it logically make sense. I mean, I guess it's realistic. Sweeney Todd um, only has to be about 35. And, and just his lead in pitch. Uh, you talk about Carter's <laughs> voice. I can't, Johnny Depp, is, it's like listening to uh, Russell Crowe and <laughs> Les Mis. It's not um, nearly it's, that bad. His voice tends to go a little flat, which is, I mean, who am I to criticize? But um, so just musically, it's, it's, I wouldn't listen to it again. But dramatically, I, there are some satisfying moments. I enjoyed some of the act, a lot of the acting choices mm. done. It's a good, I would say it's a good film. I wouldn't say like it's a good musical movie or anything, but it's successful as a film. And I think part of that had to be cutting the ensemble, unfortunately. Those yeah, parts, so. you kind of couldn't. Um, I think that the uh, Not While I'm Around sequence mm. in that film is especially affecting because of what you were saying. You could see yeah. her face. It's a sweet moment. And all the yeah. anguish that she's going There's through knowing so that much. Toby and she's what I'm going to have to do about actress. it. She's yeah. A, yeah, yeah, she's incredible. There's so many moments to see catches in that show, so good for um, her. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. Any final thoughts from you guys? So many. <laughs> a few <laughs> final Can I, can I say some of my me, favorite lyrics? Can I just read off some of my favorite lyrics? Okay? Yeah, yeah, please. This is a, and I will get him back even as he gloats. In the meantime, <laughs> I'll practice on less honorable throats. Your honor, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And one more, the last line in the whole musical. To seek revenge may lead to hell, but everyone does it, if seldom as well. I did not know what they said. That's another one where I just it's didn't genius. know what they said. Mm-hmm. I think I... I I see we're really to hell, but everyone does it. I don't know what I thought they said, but that just sounds so good when I finally knew what they had to say. And then if you just go to ladies and their sensitivities, the kind of rhymes he's doing there are ridiculous. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, and don't just read just a little bit of it. Sure, yeah. When a girl's emergent, probably it's urgent. You defer to her gentility, my lord. He does it again. Uh, Meaning no offense, it happens they resents it. Ladies and their sensitivities, my lord. Let's Just let's listen to a clip of that. That sounds sure. so oh, brilliant. So let's share that. Mm. Ladies and their sensitivities, my lord, have a fragile sensibility. When a girl's emergent, probably it's urgent. You defer to her my lord personal disorder cannot be ignored given their genteel proclivities meaning no offense it happens they resent it ladies in the sensitivities my lord 
Okay, any other final thoughts from you guys? Yes. Um, <laughs> a few, a few final thoughts. I, I have pages and pages of notes. I'm just so excited about this show. Uh, I think that this is... Um, we, we, back up, we were talking about spoiler alert a minute ago. Somebody said it. It's like, spoiler. you don't have to spoiler alert this show because it's... So available. Everybody if you don't it. know it, yeah. go find it. It's right. Tonight. Right now. Stop <laughs> yeah. what you're doing. Go look. That's right. not what the, Are you going where I thought you were? I thought you were going to say know. the music spoils itself because all the musical oh. motifs and the lay motifs he's using, like you could, the, keep coming in, back. in the first scene, mm-hmm. you know, you could know what happens if you knew musically what's going on. You know, because you hear, oh man, it's wow, just so deep. I'm gonna so have to deep. re-listen with that so mind. Deep, Morris, I've never just, thought about that. He's totally right. You can't, I'm not a sophisticated you can't get deep enough. He's hinting. Do, I'm not sophisticated enough musically to know everything oh. that's going on. But you just take a listen with the, and yeah. with those musical themes in mind, especially when the old the beggar lady comes in. Yeah, mm-hmm. some foreshadowing. I yeah. love it. Musical foreshadowing. Sorry, Lenny. Lenny. No, no, that's fine. Um, so one thing that. Um, final thought, I guess, uh, that I want put back in the show or put back in permanently is the, the beggar woman has a little song right at the oh. very end. Um, I'm not even sure that it has a title or maybe it's, it's like part a of a lullaby or something. It's a it? lullaby huh. and it's um, to the tune of Poor Thing. It's hmm. uh, right before Sweeney discovers her in the barbershop and she's singing to, uh, you know, a imaginary baby Joanna as we have spoiler alert found out that (laughs) the beggar woman is Sweeney's not dead wife and um, it's a great little moment musically beautiful and sort of a I think that the beggar woman reveal as Sweeney's wife is a maybe a little bit of a sloppy moment and I read in finishing the hat as well Forrest that like Sondheim was saying that the audience would get that reveal at different points if they got it at all and I think that that um, that lullaby moment, you can't not get it at that point if the director and the actor have done their job with the staging. And uh, so I think that needs to be put back in, period, full stop. But so Sondheim was frustrated because not everyone was getting it. He wanted everyone to get the same time, right? Some people would know from the beginning. Some people would figure out halfway through. Some people, mm-hmm. the very end, they got it. And he said some people, they walk out, still didn't get it, okay? But I'm okay with that. <laughs> I do not I do not like the lullaby being included. Uh, Just because it's so obvious. What? I'm like, if they don't get it, let, them not, the let them not get it. You know, let them mm-hmm. wait till last moment, then realize... Oh wait a minute! That was his wife, or well, let him get out of the subtle. theater and yeah. have someone tell him. You know, mm. I so I don't mind as much. I understand wanting the audience to be in. Uniform, it's a huge plot point to be missed. I mean, yeah, yeah it, <laughs> enough, it would be sad if someone actually mm. didn't come away knowing that. Yeah, 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 and you want to, as the writer or as the actor on stage, you want to hear that collective <gasps> right where the they intake. get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so ahead, yeah, put that back in. Sure. You you don't know. Put that back. Sure. That's Dane Cut in my production of Sweeney Todd. It's Dane Cut. I'm not coming to see yours. Um, so, um, final thoughts, I don't know where we are with that, but I want to give a couple of like shout outs to things that we may not mention because they're not part of the like three major revivals in the, the concert versions and, and all of those things, which are all available on YouTube for no money. Mm -hmm. Um, the, uh, uh, Angela Lansbury, George Hearn professionally shot film is on Broadway HD channel through Amazon, uh, well worth your, you know, monthly trial subscription to watch it. But a couple of performers and weird things I want to point out. Um, uh, there's a, the, the 2001 concert, uh, soprano named Lisa Vroman was playing Joanna. She's phenomenal. She's Hmm. not on any other 
recording that I've ever uh, seen. She's been a you know a Christine Daae and a Cosette and all those things. Um, she's an opera uh, singer. She's got pipes. Yeah, great pipes. Um, weird change, and maybe uh, Forrest, do you know why they did this? I couldn't find a really good answer. Donna Lynn Champlin in the 2005 revival as Senior Pirelli, why they made a female play Oh, interesting. Yeah, and she's great. She's fantastic. But I'm, I was never really sure why they made that change. Um, I don't know either. It's, an it's strange, change. isn't it? Yeah, it makes the it more interesting, niece. I guess. I don't know how I feel about it, but it's... It's what it is. It's it's very it works in the show. It works in that production. Yeah, I agree. Um, Emma Thompson in her 2014 concert. She mm-hmm. is also one I will never put in her CD, <laughs> but she makes some incredibly different, interesting choices. Uh, well worth a watch on that. Love um, Timothy Spall as the Beatle and Ed Sanders as Tobias in the film version. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timothy Spall is just creepy. Uh, love what he does with that. And um, for reasons which will send me to hell, um, <laughs> Betsy Joslin as Joanna in the 1981 film, because I've never heard a performer be able to be consistently sharp through her entire oh, song. Ouch. It just gives me all the joy Wait, and all the cringe. What is that from? Is that from? It's the, the Lansbury, the Lansbury Hearn one? Really? video. Yeah, she's Joanna. Yeah. She's I did not notice the that, eyes and the sharpness. She just okay. has this really fast vibrato that pushes yes. her sharp so yeah. often. It's, it's painful. It's a fascinating watch. Yeah. Uh, she later played the witch in Into the Woods, and I've seen clips, and she was delightful. Huge shout out. Okay, this is my my area of expertise, uh, sort of costumes. The original costume designer, Fran Lee, I believe was her name. Mad props to her for just showing out, showing off, and for absolutely no reason, giving the Beatle a phenomenally cool black and white checkered coat (laughs) for the very last scene, basically the curtain call of the show. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing piece of costuming that should not exist. So props to her. Um, and props to Alice Ripley and Emily Skinner, circa 2000-ish, 1999-ish, for a stunning recording of Pretty Women that oh, they did on one of their scenes. I think it was Unsuspecting Hearts. Yeah, yeah, it's I've never heard that. maybe the most Whoa. beautiful thing I've ever heard. Huh. Love um, me some Alice. She is amazing. Yeah. Well, and this is when she still had a full-on soprano, gorgeous, every minute of it. Um, huge props to that. Maybe we could listen to a little snippet of This it. is a perfect oh. moment to insert a clip, Mr. West. Pretty women, silhouetted, stay within you. Final thoughts, Mr. West. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I have so many. Um, if I had a Broadway time machine, although this is not technically Broadway, but whatever, I would put my little token in and it would send me back to 2002 to Washington, D.C., to the Kennedy Center for the Sondheim celebration or the summer of Sondheim. Are you guys familiar with this thing that has occurred? No. It was, it was amazing and I wish I could have like gone to it. All the summer of 2002... In repertory, there were six, I think, Sondheim shows running, all of the major ones. Um, as, and 
in addition, I think it was the introduction of the like Into the Woods Junior that they had performed by local yeah. DC whatever uh, schools. But they had um, production of Sweeney in that summer with Brian Stokes Mitchell as Sweeney Todd. Oh Ugh. my God, that would be amazing! Yeah, right, Christine Baranski as Mrs. Lovett, which <laughs> I've mentioned. Um, Hugh Panaro, I think I'm pronouncing his name properly. Um, he's like the longest running Phantom of the Opera. Oh. Um, incredible voice playing Anthony. Mary Beth Peel, who oh, is like her. the most underrated soprano of all time. She's Wonderful. incredible uh, playing the beggar woman. And surprise, surprise, Celia Keenan Bolger as Joanna. <laughs> wow. I had no idea that she had a legit. So. Maybe, Did you watch it? Did maybe watch there it? are clips on YouTube that shouldn't okay. be there. But yeah, <laughs> um, and I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Celia Keenan Boulder is, Bolger is the best Joanna out there. That's shocking. Incredible. I don't think of her as like having mm-hmm. a soprano range. I didn't either. I was okay. shocked. You heard it here first, yeah. maybe give it a Go listen. check it out. Go find it. And now it's time for a brand spanking new segment called Desert Island Discs. We'll discuss the major recordings of the show, and then Lenny and Forrest will each choose one and only one of the available cast recordings to listen to for the rest of their hungry, lonely days on a desert <laughs> island, where they apparently have all. the means to play recordings. <laughs> hey, it's 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 a thought exercise, people. I love it. Yeah. Let's take a minute now to discuss the three major recordings. The original, of course, the 2005 John Doyle production with Michael Cerverus, Patty, oh, Patty. And the one currently on Broadway starring Josh and Anna Lee. Forrest, you want to go first? Sure. I'm First off, I'm not mad about any of these recordings. I'm always glad when Sweeney Todd gets another recording. Um, but if I had to only have one, I have to take the original. I hate to say it. And usually I feel like most people are most fond of the one they listen to first. And this is the case with me, unfortunately. But you liked Michael's performance the best. That's true. I love his Sweeney Todd. But overall, I can't skip out on Angela Lansbury. And I'm not an Angela <laughs> Lansbury super fan, okay? I'm not someone who like picks out of the crowd like, oh, that's that's someone I love. But her performance in this is so good. The train whistle, I can't live without the train whistle. That was one of my biggest gripes of the newest one. There was no train yes. whistle and nothing to replace it, really. Why was it shame. cut? Yeah. I did not know There's that was big, cut. empty yeah, hole where of... that whistle should be. So I need the train whistle. I need those original orchestrations. Though... I I will say the new one, um, just to kind of compare and contrast a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I typically don't like a scaled down revival of any show. They did the most Happy Fellows, one of my favorite shows. They scaled it down in the 1990s. Oh, I was so mad about that. Okay, <laughs> And I was kind of mad about Sweeney Todd too. But just knowing that that was the way Stephen Sondheim originally envisioned it and then watching and listening to the John Doerr production, I don't mind at all. I'm glad it's part of the... Sweeney Todd pantheon. New perspective. Um, yeah, and so I enjoy that recording, but not more than the original um, even though I love Patti LuPone in that role, too. Almost, almost equals Angela. I know, Lenny's giving me a face because he's always... <laughs> for I love Patti LuPone. I don't know, just everything. Her wig. I don't know about that wig. But, um, <laughs> the new Sweeney, I do... Okay, let's... Can we talk... You mentioned the intro. So the Tony War performance for the mm. newest Sweeney. Have you seen it, Stephanie? You know, it's yes. oh, so yeah, cool, yeah. you know? It was amazing, um, yeah. That was probably the best thing that whoever's producing that show knew what number to put yeah. on stage because there is that buildup so and Josh Groban barely sings in it if you don't notice um, but um, it, he just does exactly what he needed to do in that yes. Tony War performance that, that even said to me I said I want to take it to that show okay because that ensemble sounds amazing that choreography looks so cool it looks so creepy mm-hmm. Josh Groban looks great yeah um, and I love Josh Groban's voice on so many of his solo albums and uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet mm. his foray into Broadway he's such a charming guy love him 
so charming. Why is he playing Sweeney Todd? Um, I remember hearing about the casting. I first heard of it. I said, huh. Well, because Josh Groban's voice, I, what would we say, like, tenor baritone? Baritoner is the yeah. way I, I always think of him tenor. as, I, think yeah. I, didn't, I didn't Google his voice range or anything. I mean, he has an incredible range, right? Yeah. I mean, incredible voice. I, I feel bad. Like, I don't even hold a candle, like, to him. So, uh, talent-wise, anything. But um, then I I think the role of Sweeney would be considered a baritone bass, right? Would we, would we say that's fair? I would say that's yeah. probably um, fair. And so just yeah. some of these songs don't sit right. He's singing it. It's beautiful. Some of them don't sit in the perfect center of his voice, like I would say with Michael mm-hmm. Cerberus or even with George Hearn and Carrie So that's one of the reasons I don't love it. But it is, it is just a beautiful singing performance. So listen to it orally. It's just, it's beautiful. So I won't say too many nice things about it because I'm not taking it with me. But, um, and Annalie Ashford, her accent, it's just, it's not, it's close. I have always not been a huge fan of hers, actually. Oh, um, really? At least really? oral, like, not orally. Um, at least audio wise. Orally. Yeah. Yeah. Orally, sorry. Um just on disc like in Kinky Boots was not a fan. I thought she was a little over the top. Um I do enjoy her comedy. Her comedy is quite funny. And I've heard I've not seen this production. There's I couldn't find a bootleg of the newest production. Maybe when it closes. There are teeny tiny clips. Okay, yeah. You look at the um, and I I've heard she's hilarious, so I'm sure she is hilarious. Her performance probably comes off better on the stage, whereas I probably think Josh Groban's probably sounds better, and on stage it's less convincing, because I don't think he's in any way scary or terrifying. Um, Too much of a nice guy for you. So true, yeah. So I'm taking the original. I'll listen okay. to it until I have to eat myself like a meat pie. <laughs> <laughs> Meta, okay. Lenny. Okay, so before I just uh, reveal my pick, I, I will discuss them first a little bit. Dramatic. Um, <laughs> yes, of course. I think that the original recording um, is great. So great. It's raw. It's gritty. It's dangerous and a little bit unhinged, um, especially Lynn Cario. He's kind of <laughs> like, oh, what are we doing? I can't find... Where are you going? Um, we, as a lot of those recordings from the 70s were that time, um, I, I don't know if it was having the orchestra in the room with the performers and just kind of doing it all at once. I don't know. But it lends to a really cool raw quality that Such I like very exciting. much. Oh, with, yeah, with, yeah. Link here is saying, Benjamin Barker is absolutely yes. terrifying. Okay, yes. sorry, with that train whistle yeah. too. Sorry. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Like, okay, so much I'm creeped out here. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. So, so it is, it's great. We love it. We're going to set it to the side. The 2005 recording, um, I, will, I will not take that one. Let's just put that one out. Um, it's a novelty for the orchestrations. Because, as we said, it's a um, the actors are the orchestra. They're carrying their instruments around with them through the whole oh, show. Oh, yeah, we didn't even mention that. Yeah, we, yeah they are. Sort of in so glancing. Yeah, Patty so like, Lapone's playing got a tuba. Which, uh, that's what I'm cutting from the show. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, I don't find it as novel as everyone else does. But <laughs> I like the moment at which it happened. It was fun. It was a nice laugh. But, eh. Um, but, yeah, you've got Anthony and Joanna playing their cellos. Mm. And you've got trumpets and clarinets. And it's a very pared-down orchestration. So it's cool. And they had to be really inventive. And I like it for that reason. And they did win the Tony that year for Best Orchestrations. Mm. I don't like it because there's no ensemble. And I'm not a fan of Michael Cerverus. What? Never have been. Wow. The, okay. the exception is Fun, fun home? home. Yeah, the yeah, exception man, is Fun yeah. Home. Yeah. Tommy? <laughs> he just has this voice <laughs> that I can't 
really listen to very long. <laughs> Such a good impression. It's a yeah, lot. It's just like, so much. He, he was Juan Perón, right? In this he was, movie and he was. Uh, it was serviceable. It was fine because servers. The character. Wah, wah. Okay. It just doesn't work for me. It's too uh, snidely whiplash, mustache twirling. I, it's too much. Over the top. Yeah, Lapone is Lapone, uh, which we love her for. We wouldn't want her to be any other way with all of her scoops and her swoops and all the things. <laughs> But I was um, really into the 2000 or 2001, I don't remember the year, recording that they did with the New York Philharmonic mm-hmm. with George Hearn. Um, that, and I listened to that so much, and it was so much ingrained in my mind that by that point, four years later, I was like, eh, give me a new Mrs. Lovett, I want something else. Um, so I was sort of disappointed in Patty for that, which I will say she made a whole slew of new choices, new interpretations for the John Doyle revival, which is awesome. Made her own, yeah. Yeah. But I would have loved to have had a a Baron Maisie or a Donna Murphy or somebody Mm -hmm. else have the opportunity to play the part Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, But, okay, so this is the one thing from the 2000 revival that I would take if I could. Alexander Gemignani as the Beatle. Um, Such a throwaway character I've always thought. I hate the character. He does nothing except for slap some high notes in um, Kiss Me Part 2. But... Uh, Gemignani, who is the son of Paul Gemignani, who was the music director for many of Sondheim's shows, mm. makes it, I, what I can only assume is an incredible acting choice throughout and just kind of throws the whole thing away. If you listen to the recording, it's like the most boring voice. Yes. He's, like, he's like saying <laughs> like, it like he's reading it off a piece of paper. He's he like, cannot my Lord. possibly be bothered with any of that. Nepotism in action? Question mark? No, 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 no. It's, if you watch the recording, it's actually like... Well, he finds it laughs yeah, and no one else it is works. Okay, like, yeah. cool. um, Nepotism in action. Let me uh, qualify that. He has done many other things. He mm-hmm. was a Jean Valjean in 2006. Goodness own right. Like, he's done yeah. stuff. He's a, yeah, he's he's a, a very good actor. actor. He was just doing a different take. A very but different very take. Different. It's just like, just over the whole thing. Because just and listening then, to it, you're like, what is this guy? This is the worst actor and singer I've ever heard. Yes. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> um, and he, in contrast to Betsy Joslin as Joanna, he sings it almost flat, which yes. is just phenomenally <laughs> cool for me. And this recording has, um, spe- I've said it 18 times, Kiss Me Part 2, and maybe we'll play this tiny little clip. This is a good time, yeah. It is. It's my favorite two measures of any Sweeney Todd recording ever. Um, it's at the very end. It's uh, Joanna says, I loved you even as I saw you, even as I... Uh, it does not, not matter that I name. still don't know your name. Like, they've met Love at First Sight. They don't know each other's names. And he, the, the gentleman playing Anthony Giddily, says, Anthony! <laughs> and she's, uh, um, and just hilarity ensues. And uh, Anthony, Anthony, Todd, Todd, Anthony, Todd. Let's it's hysterical. Listen. And I love the, um, the actress playing Joanna. Lauren Molina is her name. Her response, Anthony? It's like... It's like Justin Bieber or whomever is <laughs> yeah, a yeah, person yeah. these days. It's giddy and it's hysterical. Roll clip. Roll clip indeed. Okay. All right. Give the woman a break. She's been through a lot. She has. I love that moment. It just fills my soul. Um, (laughs) 
2023 recording. It's amazingly well sung across the board. You're not going to hear a better sung recording of Sweeney Todd. Um, incredibly recorded, incredibly mastered. It's crystal clear. Um, Ruthie Ann Miles, Tony nominee for The Beggar Woman, is astonishingly good. Um, and I can't tell you why. It's just something visceral and, uh, you know, vibey. She's incredible. Um, the Anthony is awful. <laughs> I can't also really Jordan put my finger on Fisher why. Jordan Fisher. I think he was an Evan Hansen. And I, is that, s- I know he's famous from something, but I didn't know. I think it was, it was Evan Hansen. And I seem to recall him getting I good notices. Right. What made him you bad didn't like for you? <laughs> His, I, it was bland and it was flat. Is it and too poppy? It was very poppy. His voice is I poppy. feel you, oh. Joanna. I can't. No, it's thanks. Just, yeah. I, I agree. Uh, That's scoopy. Um, yeah. And Annalie Ashford, who I do love really? in what I've, what I've heard her in, yeah. um, back from Legally Blonde. She had tears oh, coming out of her yeah. nose. Loved her. Um, loved her as Dot. In I was going to say, have Park. you seen that revival? Of I've not seen it, but I've heard it. Heard it. heard it, yeah. Incredible. Sorry, it's quite good, yeah. I was very excited to, um, to experience her rendition of Mrs. Lovett, but... Man, that accent makes the recording almost unlistenable for me. Uh, it's hmm. like what a shame. Community theater level bad, and that's giving community theater a bad name. Comparing <laughs> her accent to it, oh. it's bad. Brutal. It's inconsistent and it's bad. But gorgeous voice, great performer. Her dot in Sunday in the Park is just out of this world. I think so. Maybe it's better on stage. I I don't know. But the uh, the Josh Groban of it all, I'm going to have a different opinion from you, Forrest. I like his voice quite a lot. You know, great performer, all the things. I think he's very effective as Sweeney because, because he's used to being right here in the mic and used to making very small adjustments. So he can do nothing and, make, and turn up the creepy by 15%, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's saying it in a way that makes any kind of sense. But I, but I think his history as a recording artist being behind the mic helps. Um, and I also think, do we talk about this last time or did I talk about it with somebody else? Stillness on stage and quiet and smallness on stage. I find really effective. Um, it doesn't always have to be about a huge overblown moment. And I think that maybe, and I haven't seen the, the production, so I'm just speculating right, here. Same here, same here. His um, making small choices, even in a massive theater, could probably be effective because stillness and quiet and smallness can be as effective as something bombastic, in right. my opinion. Mm-hmm. So um, I think he's the best sung Sweeney, and I would go back to him to hear it sung properly. Okay, so what's your answer for the disc, though? Which one are you taking That's with you? what I was just that, about to yeah. ask, yeah. Feet to the fire. The original. The original. Oh, oh, you agree. Because of the raw, because of the gritty, because of the unhingedness of it all. Because yes. of the Angela. Because of the Angela, oh, yeah. So like so It so doesn't get better. Does Stephanie, not. have you listened to the new cast recording? Only bits and pieces. You were going to go see thing. it, right? Yeah, you, oh, remind you were, me. I'm, I'm sorry still to bring sad. it up. I'm still hurt. Yes, I could be totally filling you guys in. I know. You could be giving us the insight. We're going to reschedule. Sure. Definitely. When are we all going to go to New York together and see some shows? Wouldn't that be a blast? Let's do it because I saw uh, an ad somewhere that you can get tickets to Merrily We Roll Along for $77. Let's go. I'm wow. in. There. Um, are you going to be Charlie Kringus? I'll be Franklin Shepard. Yeah. Look at us. Okay. Here we yes. are. How fun. Lenny's like, I'm always Franklin Shepard. Can you wonder what Close out this time we've spent.
our feature musical, it's time for our If Then recommendations, where Lenny and Forrest give their recommendations for follow-up listening. Lenny, what do you think? Seems that I can't have one answer for anything, so I'm going to give you two. (laughs) My first answer is if you like Sweeney Todd, you might like Jekyll and Hyde. They are maybe not of the same quality, but they are both epic and gothic and melodramatic and overblown and operatic and all of those good words um, and Halloweeny and it would be a great time in the theater. I also, for a deeper cut, which we strangely have already mentioned tonight, I would recommend Candor and Ebb's 2015 ah. show, The Visit. Well, there we go. Yeah. Because it is a um, also absurdist. The premise is ridiculous and crazy and terrifying, and it's a revenge story. And I don't want to say too much about it because maybe we'll talk about it at a later time. I'm hoping it's one of those shows that I'm have been obsessed with for years and have had nobody to talk to you about it, so I may rope you guys into Let's it. Let's do it. It's I'm a there very for cool yeah. story. I highly recommend it. And I think it's the last show that Fred Ebb had on Broadway. John Kander has had others uh, or rehashed shows, but I think it's his Fred Ebb's who was the lyricist of the team, his last effort on Broadway. It's hard to tell any because they dragged that mantra out a couple I times. Know, the the Scottsboro boys are like, this is Fred, the curtains, this is Fred's <laughs> last know. show. They said, okay, the visit, this is really his last show. No, really, guys, this one. Yeah. I, think, I think it actually so, was this time. John Kander so, had yeah. New York, New York um, yeah. with some new material. And that's I true. Think Fred, there was Fred Ebb's more. lyrics were in there, though. So that's that true. Count? So, Probably you know, I throw that out the window. Who knows? Yeah, we're going to be hearing either. Fred Ebb for the next 50 years. Sure. Forrest, if then, what do you think? Um, if you enjoyed Sweeney Todd, you probably, an opera maybe? I don't know any operas, but no. Maliachi. Uh, <laughs> uh, it always depends on how you came to Sweeney Todd and why you like Sweeney mm. Todd, right? If you like it for Sondheim's musical mm-hmm. complexity, then maybe you're looking for a show like Pacific Overtures or Company. Ooh. You know, you're going in that direction. If you like it for the horror aspects, there aren't a lot of shows that effectively use that melodrama. In fact, I know I'm actually very offended that Lenny said Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> Stephen Sondheim is rolling over in his grave because you directed people to Jekyll and Hyde, okay? Oh, gosh. But I, I mean, something like The Wild Party. Okay, um, okay. Either version, I guess, that's kind of dark like that. Um, the other shows, think of like Little Shop. They're a little too campy. Oh, yeah. Little Shop of Horrors, a little campy. Fan of the Opera, which Stephen Sondheim sure. might also roll in his grave for that one. But, um, I mean, it does have those dark horror themes that that's what you're looking for. Or even Carrie. Carrie the Musical, mm, close mm, to Halloween, okay? Sure. Want some blood? Yeah. Can't see Sweeney? Yes, Go please. see Carrie. <laughs> battle royale portion of our show where Forrest and Lenny take on a musical theater topic of their choosing to discuss and debate and delight us all with their wit and wisdom regarding all things Broadway. Keeping with the Sondheim of it all, we have decided to go with best opening number of a Sondheim musical. Lenny, you're up. Okay, so a case could be made for several of the opening numbers from Sondheim shows for the best or the favorite or the whatever term we're using. Um, I looked at Forum, I looked at Pacific Overtures, I looked at Assassins, and while the actual greatest is probably Into the Woods, 
I, hmm. Probably without question. Vigorously nodding my head, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a 13-minute thing. nodding my head. Is, oh, you're going to get a kick under the table. <laughs> it, 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 it sets up every character. It sets up their themes. It sets up their musical motifs in 12 or 13 minutes. And compact little it's packages. Longest. Yes. Song. So genius. It's fantastic. Yeah. However, it may not be my favorite, or at least for the purpose of this question, it may not be my favorite. I'm going to go with the opening number from Company. Hmm. Um, Good choice. Thank you. I seem to think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I am picking it because it's exciting. I'm picking it because it's groovy and f- a little funky and a little very late 60s, early 70s. Um, I'm picking it because of the Burt Bacharach backup singers of it all that <laughs> happened at the beginning of it. There's a frenetic energy and pace uh, that kind of drops you into Bobby's New York and trying to be all things to all people with his group of uh, what, uh, good and crazy people, his friends. Yeah. I'm picking it because of the epic moment of Elaine Stritch hitting this super oh, long yeah. note that goes flatter and flatter and flatter <laughs> as it goes until the or- conductor just cuts her off. That's um, amazing. It straddles the the old school... Versus the new school, that that 1970s kind of time frame Mm. where we were in both worlds of it all. It foreshadows a lot of what Sondheim was about to bring stylistically and musically in all the ways. And it just kind of sets up a new generation of, uh, or a new new sense, a new something of what musicals could be. So I'm going with the opening number of Company. All right. Thoughts, Forrest? Agree? Disagree? Let me tell you why Lenny is wrong. Okay, that's what <laughs> that's I open for I all of yes, like, yeah, no. uh, Lenny is I, wrong, let's say. I love Company. <laughs> I, I appreciate Into the Woods. You know, that is, I think, his longest song that he ever wrote was Probably. that opening, that prologue for Into the Woods. If you take it all as one song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I would choose, if I gun to my head, which one am I picking? I do love Pacific Overtures. Mm-hmm. That's one I debated on. It's like, Kind of a deep cut there. Yep, yep, Forum yep. comedy tonight is great, but Sunday in the Park with George from uh, Sunday from, in the Park with George. Oh, well, I was so going to say good. from the Frogs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just love it, and um, I, the couple of just great parts about the song. We can go talk about it all day, you know. But it's establishing the themes of the show so quickly, both musically and dramatically. Uh, musically, that musical pointillism is already in yep. that song yeah. in the lead up. Um, you're setting up the characters, George and Dot. Their relationship is kind of, you jump right into the story and you already know kind of how they are, how George is like uh, a Pygmalion type of figure to Dot, you know, and they're lovers, but they're also like the artist and the subject, you know. So it's a strange relationship that you already see how it's going to fall apart later, right? Um, it's just a fantastic song and the way it builds until, and the lyrics, like, I'm imagining Hamilton, you know, it's that type yeah, of lyric yeah, where it's yeah. like, boom, 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 boom. She's like, there are worse things than this, 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 this on a Sunday, you know? So Let's oh, just do a clip of that here. Yeah, this uh, is a good time to do that. Listen to Bernadette yeah. Peters, please. This is great. Not even a nod, as if I were trees. The ground could open. He would still say, please. Never know with you, George. Who can know with you? The others are new, George. Before we get through, I'll get to you too. Mom! 
house. Yeah, that was amazing. Can listen to it all day long. So, yeah. I, for, for me, that's probably my favorite. Um, it's a great song. And see, here's the thing: there is no Forrest wrong, Lenny's wrong that's because true. they're all Honestly, brilliant. Sondheim. Yeah, like, uh, we're, we're you splitting hairs. Yeah, yeah you, a toast absolutely. to Stephen Sondheim. Hundred percent. Indeed. May I'll drink to that. Peace. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. And now, sadly, our time with you, dear listener, has drawn to a close. Be sure to tune into our next episode where we'll be reviewing She Loves Me, a show that, yay, was originally a financial flop, then a cult classic, and finally, the very first Broadway show ever to be live-streamed. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Settling Scores, the musical theater podcast. If you enjoyed it, please like, rate, review, and most importantly, tell your friends about it. Until next time, this is Stephanie. Lenny. And Forrest. All saying farewell. Farewell.